Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swan Dingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to the Swan Dingo Files. Today, I have Keith McKeever here, a fellow veteran, podcaster, and now a real estate agent. So, how's it going today, Keith? It's going good. How are you? Uh, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see if I can get my pool here pretty soon. I'll be happier then. Well, that must be nice. I'm definitely not getting in any bodies of water up here in Illinois at this time of year. No, you probably got like five months and then you get like two months of swimming up there. Well, something like that. If I was to get any outside bodies of water, I might, you know, get hypothermia or something like that. Yeah. But hey, you know, no, if that's your you. thing. Yeah. If that's your thing, right? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I've never understood that whole jump in the ice water and all that. I, I don't know. That yeah. doesn't sound like fun at all. That so. makes two of us. But, we're just gonna... <laughs> but today we're just going to go over uh, why you joined, um, what you did in the military, and your transition out, and how you're crushing it today. So if you want to begin, uh, why did you join the military? Well, you know, it, it is funny how everybody has a different story. And I was kind of lost, really. Uh, I had gotten an associate's in law enforcement, but I was just about three months shy of turning 21. And, you know, the testing cycles for law enforcement, you know, you pretty much had to be 21 at the time in 2006. You know, they're pretty much looking for just bachelor's degrees. But all I had was an associate's, so I knew – there's probably only a few departments I was going to be able to work for, kind of waiting for slots to open, just kind of floating through life, working 30 hours a week at Kohl's, which was a great place to work, but that wasn't long-term future plans at 20. And so just kind of figuring out, you know, what is adult life looking like? Living at home with my parents, 20 years old, all that stuff. And I'm sitting at home one day around Valentine's Day, and the phone rings. Landline, you know, ancient technology <laughs> by today's standards. So I pick it up. And it's a recruiter calling. And for some reason, I talked to this Army recruiter. And I probably talked to him for like an hour or so. Who knows? And, you know, he's like, oh, you got an associate's degree. That's awesome. You know, you could be a warrant officer. You, you know, so, you know, of course, they're they're hitting all their verbal judo tactics, you know, like, uh, so I was like, oh, that's awesome. You know, he's like, you could be a pilot. And I'm like, oh, this is even better. Because back in high school, I would read a lot of books about the Vietnam War, and a lot of books I had were about helicopter pilots. So, like, he was hitting all the check marks. <laughs> it was all like, nice. oh, I could be, be like a, a Blackhawk pilot, you know? Like, all these different things, right? So, I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. Then my stepdad comes home. But my mom, whatever, I don't know what she was doing, but it was just my stepdad. Now, he was in Vietnam. He was Air Force. And... I said, hey, look, you know, he'd only been in my life for just a couple of years at that point. But I was like, hey, Bill, you know, what do you what do you think about this? Like, I don't want to ask mom, but, you know, you served. What do you think? And he's like, hmm, well, do you like to sleep on the ground? I said, well, 
I mean, I don't mind camping every now and then. He's like, do you want to sleep on the ground all the time? It's like, not really. Okay. Well, you want to get treated like shit? But you don't, you don't mind if I curse to you? No, okay. I don't, I don't <laughs> mind at all. And okay. I, I just find, I find it funny that you say sleeping in the dirt. It's like, we don't sleep in the dirt that much. I promise you. Sometimes. <laughs> oh, no, I get that now. But uh, he, t- he totally got me with that one. And so I was like, okay. And he's like, well, you know, if you want good quality of life and you don't want to sleep in the dirt, you know, you want to get treated right. He's like, you only got two choices, Navy or Air Force. He's like, well, you know, Air Force did well for me. He goes, or you can sleep on a tin can out in the middle of the ocean. And I got to thinking about that. I'm like, well, I could swim, but I can't swim that far. <laughs> and a giant tin can in the middle of the ocean doesn't sound like fun either. So, you know, Air Force was about the only the only option that remained. So, you know, next next day or two, I was over at my friend's house, and he had he had been at, at away at college and partied a little bit too much. And his mom and stepdad had cut him off a little bit financially and said, "You got to figure your stuff out. We're gonna." be done paying for college if you're not going to go to class you know he was a super bright guy but you know party a little bit too much like most college kids right so him and i were kind of both lost and so his stepdad was air force in vietnam so he goes well if you're gonna go talk to the recruiter take his butt with you you know so off we went man you know the rest is history and um i didn't have a job lined up i was either gonna be firefighter security forces or aerial gunner and a uh, recruiter called me one day about two and a half weeks or so before I went into to, uh, basic training. He was, look, I had a guy, guaranteed job, security forces, just broke his leg. He's like, I got nobody else that can go or that's interested in that job except for you. You're the only one I have that's old enough who has, you know, sorry to say this, but nothing else going for them. You know, you're just working 30 hours a week. <laughs> He's like, do you want this job? And I'm like, well. I guess if I'm going to do this thing, like I might as well just jump in with both feet and just go now. Cause if you, if I wait six months, I might decide not to. So yeah, that's, that's how I ended up getting in, man. I I got that phone call around Valentine's day and I was, you know, in, in basic training by April 4th. So it was not a very long process. That's funny. He was blunt straight to the point, called you up, but like, Hey, I need my numbers up pretty much. And that's yeah, how the air force that's how the Air Force plays it. They, they they can hold on to you for up to two years, and then they can be like, hey, I need this now. So I was a recruiter, too, for the Army. And uh, it's all a numbers game. You know, it's like you said, you hit your points. You try to draw the kids in. But I never lied, though, I promise. I put in, I think, like 60-something kids in three years. I never lied. Never, you know, embellished too much to be like, oh, yeah, we're so cool. Or it's like – Man, these these kids, they can they can do their own research now. They know we're lying. They can tell. So well, there was no research back in the day because man, he got me with the the four wheeler videos and everything of security oh. forces. The sad part was, man, he was security forces too. You know, so I was like, oh, this is cool. Four wheelers, man. I grew up in the country. Like riding four wheelers was a thing. Like we did it all the time. So I'm like, this is cool, man. I could be a cop in the Air Force and ride four wheelers and do all this stuff. Yeah, the only time I ever saw a four-wheeler was at the Scott Air Force Base. There was like four of them in supply. And guess who the only four people who had the qualifications to ride? Hmm. The four guys in supply. Nobody else was allowed to t- – oh, well, I take it back. The commander and the first shirt <laughs> might have had a qualification. <laughs> Other than that, I'll, it was the supply section. I'll never understand that either. Like you need a license in the military to drive all these vehicles. And it's like – 
what? Like you need a piece of paper that says you're qualified to drive. It's like, I, I never understood that. Yeah, one. you know, half I mean, them, half of them were embellished anyways. I, I at one point was licensed for an Abrams tank. I never, I've only been inside one one time my entire life. Like that's no, you don't want to trust me behind the sticks of an Abrams. But yeah, so it's it's like oh, you got Humvee on there, you got five ton, you, you know, deuce and a half, like you got all these different things on there. You know, you know, how many people had bus driver on there? Was yeah, like, nope, yeah. you cannot hop on that four wheeler. Do not touch that four wheeler or that side by side. Like you don't do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's funny that you said he was talking about a four wheeler because I chose I chose Calvary Scout based off the mostly based off the video. You know, I wanted front lines. I wanted combat, which I saw plenty of. And they don't have the video now, but the video I was watching or I saw back today had, of course, the Bradley fighting vehicle, uh, the Humvee, and then it had a uh, dune buggies and dirt bikes. Well, guess what? Wh which two did I not see the entire I'm time? I'm sure that was dune buggies and dirt bikes. Exactly. So it's like, hmm, that's nice. I, I mean, I wish, but yeah, no. Back in the day, apparently, they did that kind of stuff, and it's like, nice. So, yeah, somebody somewhere was like, we got to shoot a video. What unit has the most money and has the coolest equipment? And you so they're probably it. like. <laughs> now, so you join. Uh, so what, like. What all did you actually do? I know you said you. I know you were deployed to OEF at one point. Um, so what all uh, did you do while you were in? Uh, well, so I was security forces. Uh, went to Yokota, Japan first. I uh, was mm -hmm. there for just a couple of months before I went to Iraq, and I went to a place called Kambuka. It was a prison camp. So I was there for just a little under eight months. Uh, so we were guarding the prisoners of war who were in there for all kinds of stuff, you know, from, you know, the worst of the worst to all the way down to dudes that were I'm pretty sure dudes were in there for like curfew violations and crap like that. So, I mean, it was, it was a wide range of things dudes were in there for. It was, it was a wild experience where we got, we got shot at indirect fire or escape attempts or riots pretty much two or three times a week uh, on average, at least. Uh, so it was a, it was an adventure. It was pretty much referred to as hell on earth the whole time we were there. Ran out of food pretty frequently while we were there. The uh, the main supply routes were pretty heavily IED'd at that time, and they had to go up and around. And, you know, we weren't that far from the Kuwaiti border either, which is kind of crazy that it took so long to get food. But we knew every time we walked to the chow hall and the MRE cases were sitting out there, it's like, mm -hmm. well, as soon as I go in there, they're not going to have much food left in the case. <laughs> you weigh your options, little triangle quesadillas and leftover French fries from Burger King or MREs. Uh, at some point, I would have taken the leftover French fries from uh, Burger King because I remember when they put that first Burger King up on um, Camp Victory, we, uh, we were outside of it, inside of Baghdad, and they put that first one on there. So every time we went to Burger King, it was like a full-on order, like the whole platoon, like, hey, what, what y'all want and all that stuff. So I remember that day, and it doesn't taste like the American Burger King at all, but it was close enough, and, you know, it wasn't MREs or the – Oh, with the mermite food, the I still never figured out what those eggs are, are made of in the military. So I have no idea. You know, the fries never really got me. What got me was the we had a little pizza hut there, and nobody mm -hmm. forewarned me about the goat cheese on the pizza until I took that first bite. And I'm pretty sure I spit it out, and I'm like, "What the hell is this?" You know, 
<laughs> like, that, what, what is this? This is not cheese, you know? Like, and they're like, no, 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 it's cheese. And it's like, no, this is not cheese. And they're like, no, that's goat cheese. And I'm like, somebody should have explained that. There should have been a warning label somewhere here on this little Connex trailer here. This is warning goat cheese. You're not going to be used to this. <laughs> I I guess I'm lucky. Both deployments to Iraq, I did. I never had goat cheese. So thankfully, so. It's, it's one of those things, you know, I, I guess some people might say it's an acquired taste. Mm. I don't know if you ever acquire it. I, I it's, it's not my thing. Let's put it that way. But the, that, that first bite, you'll be like, this does not taste like cheese. <laughs> not a big fan. No, no. no There's, they, they got some, they got some good food over there. Like I'd say the eggplant and other stuff like that was better than what we get here in America. It looks disgusting, but surprisingly it's pretty good. And then, you know, OF1 was, 2003, four, we're able to kind of go out to the marketplace in Amaria, uh, not so much Abu Ghraib, and actually go out there and get the ice cream they had out there and take our vest off or Kevlar's off and just kind of sit around back then. I mean, man, ice, cream long, was, but... ice cream was dangerous for me on that first deployment, man. I, I, I don't know if it was, uh, man, it, in that heat, in that southern Iraq heat, <laughs> middle of the day because i worked midnight to noon and we would just you know our whole group would we'd have to hurry up and get to the chow hall to get food so we'd go eat and when we had food the food was great in the chow hall and obviously the food would kind of start dwindling down until you had the triangle quesadillas and french fries or or mres but when they had food in there sometimes they'd have ice cream and pralines and cream ended up being my favorite but same here same here i, I don't know what it was about that ice cream and the heat I'm going get real personal here. I had to pretty much leave straight from the chow hall. And instead of going back to my room, I had to go find a bathroom. That, that, that pralines and cream just, just goes right through you, man. But it was good. I, I gave myself that punishment every freaking day. Now I could eat other dairy things. I don't know what's about that ice cream, man. <laughs> That's funny. When, I, I... when you're deployed and you don't care and all this bad stuff happens to you and you're like, you know what? I could die tomorrow. I'm going to enjoy this pralines and cream today. <laughs> oh God, I, I wish uh, that that did become my favorite ice cream too. I still to this day look for it, and surprisingly, it's not very popular here in the United States. But it's my no, favorite it's ice cream. My favorite one though. It it is good. Yes. So how many uh, how many years did you do? I ended up doing a, a little over five and a half. Okay. I did two deployments, uh, a couple of schools like uh, security forces. Combat leader score seven level, a couple of other things. Um, what else did I do? Motor vehicle theft inspector class for the state of Illinois. That was pretty fun. Yeah, I did. Um, Is that because you were in and you were in Illinois or something? Or uh, yeah, so so I came back from. I guess I should you know back that story up. Came back from that deployment, and a few months later, there came an opportunity to go on a team down to Ecuador. So I went down there for six months. We guarded the AWACS planes and. So we were down there for six months. Amazing team down there. Had an absolute blast. Um, a lot of stories from down there I, I can't I can't say or won't say. Uh, a lot of that's like, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of stuff. Uh, but came back to Japan from there, in-processed and out-processed within three weeks. Uh, so PCS to Scott Air Force Base. And because I thought I was going to end up getting out at four. And 
met my leadership and I remember meeting the chief and she, she says, you know, how do you feel about deploying? And I said, well, ma'am, I know that I got enough time left and you're going to deploy me now, or you're going to deploy me in, you know, six months from now. I know how the rotation goes. You know, I'm young, single, I don't care, you know, send me wherever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like a week later, I'm, you know, out of, out of the training cycle, I'm sitting on the front gate and I get a phone call and it's the chief and you know, yes, ma'am. What, what can I do for you? Well, you know how you told me you don't mind deploying? Yes, ma'am. Well, you're going you're going back to Iraq. So went to Joint Base Balad, got there right before Christmas of 08. So spent six months there at the South Entry Control Point. So we were doing the I did the biometrics automated tool set for that gate, mm-hmm. truck commander for blocking forces and all that stuff for the convoy. So not a whole lot happened on that deployment. Um that was a, a far different experience going from a small fob with the prison camp and all the craziness to, you know, I think there was like thirty something thousand people at Balad. Yeah, two chow halls and all you know, all the craziness of everything that goes on there at that base. It was massive. Yeah, I don't I don't I can't remember I like I remember a little bit about Balad, but not a whole lot. I think I only went up there twice. Uh and that was just I don't remember why. Some sort of meeting we had to take the colonel to or something. Um but yeah, my majority of time is on small fobs. I yeah, the the life on the big fob is just I don't know. I, I didn't care for it. So it was wild. I mean, it's just it's just like being on a city, you know. I mean, you got sidewalks, the city streets, you got buses, bus routes everywhere. The chow hall. It was like I think three gyms. There was like two or three chow. Mm-hmm. There was at least three chow halls. I mean, there was a movie theater. There was a pool. Not that I ever went to the pool. I mean, anything you wanted to do was pretty much there. I had roommates that were all three brand new. You know, pretty much brand new airmen, first deployment, and they were like, "Oh my god, this sucks." And I'm like all happy. And they're like, what are you so happy about? And I'm like, look, man, this room is like five bunk beds in here. And there's only four of us. I was like, my first deployment, there was literally the same amount of bunk beds and they were all full. I was like, we have room to spread out. You can throw all your gear on top. You have extra wall lockers. We're fine. And plus the showers and bathrooms are attached. And there's a day room with a TV and somebody's got an Xbox down there. I was like, okay. what more could you ask for? <laughs> okay, calm down now. You're making me regret joining the army. God damn it. I'm sorry. You no, know, I, I, like I, I said I, to them, like, what I mean, what more could you ask for? Like, this is like to me, it was like living the life. I was like, what are you guys complaining about? Like in the chow halls, like, you know, a few blocks away. It's a 10-minute walk. The gym, you know, I mean, everything was close by. I'm like, dude, I would stay here for forever. I mean, yeah, there's some inherent danger, but like, shoot, I'll deal with it. Yeah, that 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 would be too bad, I think. Would probably would have had the same wear and tear on my body, but it it would have been different experience, I'm sure. But I don't know. There's just something about going out of the gate, getting shot at every so often. The only thing I didn't like was IEDs, I guess. But yeah, that that was the only really bad part. But there was such a difference between OIF one, how you got treated, and then OIF. Well, I went OIF one and then OIF three. And OF3 is when they were, OF1 is when they started putting like victory and all these big bases up. And it's like, man, we're going in there. It's like, how are these units going to get out of the gate fast enough for like QRF and all this other stuff that comes up? And then, uh, I don't know, they manage, but it's like, uh, it's going to get too comfortable. People are going to get too relaxed. And, but uh, that's pretty comfortable lifestyle being there in Blood, really. I mean, a lot of, you know, your body armor and everything stays in your in your room we had an armory to check our weapons into i mean there's 30 something thousand people i mean nobody carries Mm -hmm. weapons around with them for the most part so it's pretty pretty comfortable environment 
So uh, that's why I said I was like, I could have stayed here forever. And I wish I would join the Air Force now, honestly. <laughs> well, hey, there was, I mean, pretty much every branch was there. So, you know, there's well, yeah. Well, I was that stupid kid that joined Combat Arms front lines, and I was 18 when I joined in 2000, well, 2002 when I joined. And I was like, man, I just want to go kill people, shoot at stuff, you know, have all that fun stuff. Looking back on a hindsight 2020, I wish I would have done something smarter. So would have carried more to the outside world. But, you know, being a scout, yeah, ain't much they can get get out on. So I can understand that to some degree. I mean, I I'm not using that uh, much of I'm not using that much of what I did, you know, no. in my in my career now. I mean, there's certain skills and stuff you learn by being in the military that translate, but you know. There is, and, that and that's the thing, you know, is like, you know, and that's another thing I always told kids when recruiting, it's like, you know, I, I have kids scoring higher on the ASVAB tests, like 70s, 80s, stuff like that, that wanted infantry. It's like, you sure you want infantry? It's like, 100%, I can get you all these other jobs or one of these other jobs, and it's like, you sure you don't want them? And they're like, no, I just want infantry. It's like, I mean, I can't tell you no, but it's like... Okay, I guess. I mean, it's hard to tell somebody who's young, who doesn't really know that much about the world, like, here, take my advice. Like, here's, you know, it's really good advice. I mean, I've, I've said for a long time, like, people, the military is a great, great option. But you really <laughs> need to think it out. And you really need to, if you're smart about it, you can use it as a massive stepping stone for your entire life. If you, from day one, if you... If you pick your branch carefully, you pick your job carefully, you take advantage of the education benefits and all that stuff, you can really set yourself up big time. If you're smart about it. And that's what I always try. Yeah, that's why I always try to tell my privates. But the pro problem was I didn't practice as much as I preached, but I only got two years worth of college while I was in for 14 and a half years. And, you know, it seemed like the higher rank I got, the busier I got. It's like, man, I should have started this one as a private. I probably would have had a bachelor's by now, but. You know, once you make E6, especially when you make E7, there's just it's not a whole lot of time anymore. So, so, uh, yep. so you did your time. How, uh, when did you know you were transitioning out? Uh, how, how long before you got out did you start preparing? I had a couple of months' notice, okay. pretty much. So, I mean, you know, I had, I had enough time to pretty much had about half of my, uh, I guess I'll say our, base housing, house, whatever you want to call it, you know, duplex, whatever it was, had pretty much the garage about half packed. So we were pretty much ready to go, but still didn't know my exact date um, right away. But just, just, you know, had, had a couple months to know exactly what it was. Uh, did, you have, did you have kids while you were in or? I had one. Out? Yeah. I've you got two one. now. Okay. I had one. Yeah. So he was about one when we got out. So did you have a plan when you got out? Did you already like kind of know what you were going to do or did you just kind of get out and fly by? Man, I, I had no clue. <laughs> I had no clue at all. Uh, we didn't know we were going to go either. You know, it was weird because I was at Scott Air Force Base. My wife is from there. My mother-in-law retired from there. She, uh, she was uh, career Air Force. And I'm from about three hours north of there up in Peoria area. For some reason, I mean, this is where I'm from up here, so we just pretty much packed up everything and moved up here. Uh, we could have stayed down there. I, I don't know why we didn't. 
I guess it was just one of those things. Yeah, it was just uh, like pack up the vehicle and move up Scott, here. So Scott Scott's the one. I'm just in the southern part of Illinois, right? Yep. Scott Air Force Base. Okay, I couldn't yep. remember where that one was at for sure. It sounded familiar, but yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, you got East St. Louis, so. and you got Fairview Heights and Bellevue, uh, Belleville, and then uh, Lebanon, Mascouda, mm. Scott Air Force Base. Mm. There's a bunch yeah. of little towns. It's kind of going in order there, but. Uh, I mean, it's a great place to live down there, but for some reason we just moved up here. I, I have no idea. Um, so yeah, we moved up here and I think it was about a month later, I finally got a job. I, I got a job working for Furniture Row, which was a great company. And I look back on it now and I think I got pretty lucky because the regional manager had served and the there was only there was a store manager, assistant manager, and one sales guy. And they hire you specifically to be in sales and then to eventually become an assistant manager and then, you know, be, go up through the ranks. So I was lucky enough to get hired, but I think it was because there was only so many people. It was that small unit kind of feel. We worked together 70 hours a week. We were together all the time. We would cook food in a crock pot and bring it in. Everybody's family, like, you know, nobody's family saw them. So sometimes people's, Wives and kids would come in and hang out in the store for a little bit just to, you know, so the kids could see their dad, you know, on the non-busy times or after school. Like, that's just kind of how it was. So we got to know each other's families and different things like that. And I was only there for like 14 months or something like that. But, you know, one of the guys that I worked with is still kind of like a big brother to me. We're still pretty close to a couple of those guys. And I think that helped me in my transition. I didn't really that's have time good. to stop and think because it was – same group of guys, always around them, never really had time to kind of stop and think. And so that was really, I think, beneficial to me. Uh, yeah. After that, you know, about the end of that, my well, my wife got pregnant during that year. And then our youngest was born. He was born premature. He was born a couple months early. And so the company at that time, I had already gone through the management training. They wanted me to relocate. We were like not with a baby who's, you know, got unknown medical issues. They're being born two months early. You know, we're not going to leave family and support structure. That's just stupid. Like, I don't care. There's no job worth that. So we were like, okay, we're, let's let's buy our first house. So we have some stability over our head. And then my mother had been in real estate at that time for 25 years. And my father had his license from 88 till 2001 when he passed away. My stepfather had his license for a couple of years. Uh, she met him a few years after my dad died. So it's, real estate's been a family affair for a long time. And, uh, so she's like, well, you know, if you're not going to relocate and you got to go get a different job, why don't you get in real estate with me? Which is something I, as a kid was like, I am never doing that. I am never, ever, ever getting in real estate. And I thought about it and I'm like, well, for lack of other options. And the fact that it's my mother, there's nobody else in this world who's going to be able to take me under their wing and, you know, train me right and have the incentive to train me. Cause it's your mother. Like, you know, they're not going to do anything to set you up for failure. So I was like, sure. did she ever get, did she ever get, did she ever get angry with you when, uh, during training? Oh, no. Okay. I, I no. just wonder, cause you know how, how some people can be. So no, I want to share how to get after you. No, we, uh, it, it was kind of difficult getting a real estate license because honestly, a lot of the stuff they teach you in real estate license, uh, pre-licenses is garbage <laughs> stuff that you don't mm -hmm. use at all in your actual practice. So I would ask her questions and she's like, I have no idea. We don't use that. So 
got my license, went to work with her, um, ended up working with her for nine years uh, at the same company. That company ended up closing their doors a little over a year ago, uh, at which point we both went to the same company we're at now. It's a Fathom Realty. It's, it's actually a veteran-owned company. Um, but at that time, we realized that she's got a couple years till retirement. I'm still trying to grow my business. So we same company, but we are both individual agents at the company, which was a mutual decision because we both realized we're going in total different directions. But we've always gotten along really well. I, I, I don't know if I want to really use the term mama's boy, but like we're really close with my dad dying when, when I was 16, like I was kind of the man of the house at that point in time. I was the only guy left. It was just my, um, my sister and I, she's a year and a half younger than me. So it was like, you know, we've always gotten along. And so we were, you know, pretty good business partners. We had our, we had our struggles mostly with technology for her. Sometimes uh, I'm pretty tech savvy. I'd be like, I'd be like, mom, check out this tech tool. She'd be like, slow down, Keith. Let me just play with the tech tool. And uh, I'll tell you in a couple of weeks if I can figure it out. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, she, she would do, she'd do all right eventually, but it would take her a little while to figure it out, you know, and, but you know, that's what that's to be expected in different generations sometimes. It, it is. And I'm seeing that now in this industry with this and the other one, it's, the old, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to like talk down on them, but they're just a little bit behind the times in some of the technology and trying to play catch up can be kind of aggravating. And even my wife, she's a nurse at the prison here and uh, where we live and she's got a charge nurse that's doesn't know anything. And she's just like, it's frustrating. It's like, it's not that hard for you. Well, for us, I guess, cause we grew up around computers, but I guess for them, it's just, I don't know. They're just not catching it fast enough or what? Well, you know, think about the generation behind us too, that, you know, a lot of them were just kind of handed a device when they were born, you know, how, how mm -hmm. much faster are they going to be at, at quicker at picking up things? You know, eventually they're going to be like, how are you guys not getting it? You grew up with technology. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, so who knows? So I know you started your own podcast and everything too. Uh, what is it called again? The battle buddy podcast. Okay. And yep. what do you guys uh, talk about and go over? Yeah. So that started in 2020. Um, gosh, like eight, nine years ago, uh, I started trying to get a little bit more involved in the veteran community because uh, I, I kind of realized I needed to be connected to the veteran community for my mental health. And um, so I started, I got in touch with the honor flight, taking vets to DC and slowly got involved with that. And uh, that's been an amazing experience, but obviously you can't take a bunch of vets to D.C. during the global pandemic when they're in their 80s and 90s. So those flights didn't happen for a couple of years. So I'd already had this idea for a podcast, and when that shut everything else down, I was like, okay, well, I'll just do this podcast. You know, be, being in real estate, driving around all the time, I'd listen to podcasts all the time. So I was like, I'll just produce one. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll just figure it out, grab a microphone and a camera. <laughs> you know, you just figure it out and you learn as you go. So uh, my wife actually created the logo. I came up with the name. We just kind of fumbled through it. I did uh, reach out to a guy who went on the honor flight with us, who's local here to Peoria. He was my first guest. I knew like five seconds into him telling his story of how a service dog saved his life. I was like, wow, okay, people telling their stories has a, a one heck of an impact. So then did, did second episode, third episode. Then in 2021, I was like, okay, I'm going to do one every other week. Cause I was still in college, get my, use my GI bill to get my degree. 
And then in 2022, once I was done with that, I was like, every every week I'm going to do one. And it's just, I've been consistent with it ever since. And so I've done 90, as of this week, uh, 91 episodes I've released. And every uh, nice. every episode is designed to, the way I look at it, to educate or inspire veterans, military members or their spouses, whatever. I look at it like the whole family to educate or inspire them to better their lives in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a resource I'm highlighting or just a story or, you know, something else that they can take a little nugget from it and be like, I can implement that in my life and better my life in some way, shape, or form. And so that's my goal, just to to help people kind of improve in some way. And I like how you said uh, your mental health too, because honestly, I've only been doing this like two weeks and, and I don't even know what number I'm on anymore. I did a blitz of five the other night and uh, it's just, but you know, you think you'd be exhausted and everything talking to, you know, five people back to back to back to back. But it's like hearing the stories has been great for my mental health. Like it's, it's so nice hearing other people's perspectives, what they've gone through, some worse, some not as bad, of course, but it doesn't matter. It's like, cause we all respect each other. You know, I mean, I'm sorry you were air force. I won't hold that against you, but you know, we have, we have banter back and forth about the different branches and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like we all served. It's nice to hear different stories and what other people went through. And it has actually helped me out a lot in just the short amount of time. So I'm, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm excited to keep this going. It's going to be, God, I know, a couple of thousand years probably if I live that long. So, but so, um, you got your podcast going. You're still doing real estate. How's the real estate going up in Illinois right now? Well, I I hate to say it's probably just about like everywhere. There's a lack of houses for sale and a lot of buyers that uh, that are that are looking and just can't find anything. So unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's not, not a super positive uh, outlook. But you know, Dude. it's if you're looking to sell your house, it's a great great opportunity. If you're looking to buy, it's a little frustrating. So. Too bad. Uh, too bad. I didn't, know, I didn't know you before. I sold my house. It's only been a year and a half since I moved down here. So I literally closed. Well, I closed on the house and I moved down here in November of what year are we? So it's November 2021. So I sold it. It closed on Feb- November. Yeah, November. I moved down here 2021. February 2022 it closed up there finally. And they were just the people that bought that house were just nitpicking. It's like. It was built in 1906. It's the best house you're gonna find in this, you know, year shape, two story, the old Purington paver bricks. Nothing wrong with a single one. Roof was nice. Everything was nice. And they just want to nitpick, and it's like, all right, all right. And I finally called the real estate agent, my real estate agent, and told him, you know what? I know they sunk some money into this and all that, but I have money to blow. They got one week to close, or I'm backing out. So I don't care. So I'll, I can blow the, what little bit of money I put into this and I know they can afford it. So, and guess what? They closed. It's like, thank you. So I don't know if that was legal or not, but it's like, I'm just tired of dealing with this, these people. So. Well, it can get kind of, kind of frustrating sometimes if, if somebody's getting a little nitpicky and sometimes, well, you know, I mean, it's a big purchase for anybody, but sometimes people need to realize that every every generation of house i guess i'll call it a generation but every one of them has different features 
Mm-hmm. Right. It, you know, house built in 1906 is going to have dimensional lumber. It's going to have older wiring unless it's been completely redone. But generally yes. speaking, it's going to have older wiring. It's going to have older plumbing. It's going to have some uneven floors. It's going to have hardwood floors. It's going to have probably pavers outside. Like there's just certain things you expect in a house that's 100 something years old. It's going to certain mm-hmm. things you expect of a house that's in the 80 to not 100 years old that's built in the 30s, 40s, whatever. Same thing with mid-century homes. Their homes built in the 70s or 80s. There's just certain things you expect. Like 70s, you're going to get paneling. You're probably going to get the really dark paneling. You might even find some shag carpet still on occasion, right? Uh, just like, yeah, I know, right? Ugh, it makes me cringe too. <laughs> but like there's just certain things you expect, and uh, it's it's on us as real estate professionals to just educate our buyers. Be like, this is what you should expect in a home of this age, right? Cool. That like – this is what the electrical is probably going to be like. This is what the plumbing is going to be like. And this is what it's going to be like in generally every house in this price point in this age. So this is just what you have to expect. And this is what you have to you know, deal with. Well, and that's the thing, though. The, actually, the people that own the house before me, I, of course, I'm not going to tell you their names. But um, the wife, actually, I don't know if she still does, but she ended up being one, head of one of the hospitals down there in Peoria. I don't know. I can't remember which one. So she was like, they made good money. They made all the updates to the house. The only thing they didn't do was the windows, but I replaced a bunch of those. So overall, the house was like immaculate for 19, 1906. So, and then, you know, all my neighbors were actually, one of the neighbors that moved in was running Cottage Hospital up there in um, Galesburg. I, of course, I think that shut down finally, but it's like, so we were in a great area, beautiful house. Um, and it's just like, why are you doing this? Like, well, you're, sometimes you're you run to... into what I would call the HGTV curse, mm. where, where some people just want everything exactly like they see it on TV. You know, a hundred percent, all done up, perfect. But let's just face it: not every house is perfect. Like, no house is perfect. Not even no, new construction know, no. is perfect. Oh no, 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 no! They settle so, and they start cracking. Yeah, no. Oh yeah, but I mean, you know, people see what they see on TV, and it looks all perfect, and that's what they want. And yeah, I refer to it as the HGTV curse, and it's yeah, it's a real thing. California's killing us with that stupid show or wherever it's filmed at. So, so, so it seems like you're doing pretty good now, and I'm I'm proud that you are, and glad it didn't take you long to find a job in uh, Furniture Row, which I know Furniture Row very well. Um, I really like that environment. I'm glad you got that environment coming out because a lot of vets don't get it. Um, if there's one thing you can take while you're transitioning out, what would you tell the veterans coming out now? Man, the one thing I would tell veterans to do now is something that wasn't available when I got out is really take advantage of this skill bridge program. Because obviously, you know, there's manpower issues your commander has to figure out. So not everybody could potentially get it. But if you have that opportunity to take Skillbridge and get something, do it. Take that opportunity. Because what they're going to teach you in your TAPS program is a bunch of garbage. It is all Department of Labor. Yes, it's it's. I think it's important to have a LinkedIn profile. It's important to have a good resume. All that's important. But that's not everything. And it's sometimes it's who you know and some of those things that are important too. Uh, and it just, just taking that time to be away from your unit and be in a civilian world can give you some insight and some adjustment. 
It's not perfect, but it's something. Yeah, it, it, it was I, – I can't remember what they called it when I was getting – well, I got out 2017. So it's only been coming up on six years now, and it was garbage. It, they, they had us make a LinkedIn page, but it's like they didn't explain why. It's like – and then it's like, why just LinkedIn? Why not, you know, professionalize our Facebook, you know, I don't was yeah Twitter was around then Twitter Instagram all the stuff to network with why do you just use LinkedIn so it's like yeah LinkedIn is a great tool don't get me wrong and it's great for professionals but most of these kids coming out aren't going to walk into no corporate job where you're going to be looking at LinkedIn most are going to walk out to blue collar jobs because they didn't make themselves marketable while they were in they just did it three four years and got out and did nothing just because you're in the military doesn't mean you deserve a job. You got to make yourself marketable to the outside world. Yeah, we got great skills of, you know, leadership, depending on your position, you know, discipline. You know, we always show up on time, at least hopefully. But just just because you have that doesn't mean you're going to get some great job on the outside. So, yeah, it's definitely not going to be handed to you. No, and, and rightfully so, it shouldn't be because you're competing exactly. against other vets that went to college or, you know, ha- already came out with that skill. You know, so it's just, you know, I had a little trouble when I first got out. Uh, I did walk right into the DMV, got my license without ever driving a semi. Kind of scary. Kind of. Well, I don't know if you've seen them up there. It was uh, Rast Transportation. They haul fuel in that area up there and haul rock and all that stuff. Red trucks, older. So uh, they run around I don't there. Think so. Yeah, they haul all the high in the area up there and a few other small ones. So, but they're around, yeah. It, great guy, but yeah, it's not for me. So, but so, but that that's about it. Uh, do you have any questions? No, no. I just uh, just thanks for the opportunity to come on and talk to you. Well, now that I know now that I know you and all my family's still up there, and a lot of well, some friends I still stay in contact with. It's nice to know that you know there's somebody in that area, and if I find anybody, I will definitely direct them to you. Yeah, so appreciate that. I mean, I, I'm not guaranteeing, of course, but hey, if I can throw you one or two here and there, if possible. So, but always so happy to be up. a resource, you know. If I mean, you know, yes. if anybody has any questions or things like that too. I mean, I've got uh, got a YouTube channel for for my business too that I try and put educational stuff on there. My my personal mission statement it kind of blends over to my real estate business is educate, guide, and connect. Yep. So it's kind of something I try to do is just educate people as much as possible and, you know, try and cut through some of the clutter on, on, online, especially when it comes to real estate. Cause you can find a bunch of crap online. That's not applicable because it's from another state or something like that. So. Well, also, to- make, also make sure you tell veterans 75% or over disability rating, no property tax up there. Cause I'm at 90 and I didn't pay any property tax up there. So, and then I forgot what it goes from there, but. It's um, uh, seven, 70 and above is, is exempt. Yeah, so that's it. Okay. Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly off the top of my head, but yeah. So, well, that wraps up this episode of the Swan Dingo Files with Keith McKeever. If you're looking for a home in Peoria, Illinois, make sure you look him up. If you want to get on the Battle Buddy podcast, make sure you get in touch with him. He's eager to listen to you and give you some good guidance. Everybody, have a good night. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle.
So until next time, keep on trucking and keep swan deep going.